Good morning still, everyone. We are day two at the FPA Congress. I'm Danny. I'm representing XY and the XY team and the FPA are making sure that the people who couldn't attend the sessions today still get those ideas and nuggets of gold so they can embed and improve their practices. Now, I am joined by a trio. So this is going to be a fantastic chat. I've got three aged care specialists who did a session yesterday at the FPA on aged care and really shared with other advisors what makes that a really rich conversation and, and you know, their tips and tricks because I can imagine you've all been around in the FPA world and also as advisors for quite some time. Yeah, see nodding heads. So I'll, get, I'll get the trio to introduce themselves, starting with you, Kerry, and who you are, how did you come to the FPA, and then, yeah, we'll move on to the other guests. So I'm Kerry Darden. I am the founder of Clarity Financial Advice and I specialise in aged care. So I just help people understand the financial implications when they're moving into care. So I work with other financial advisors within the FPA that are doing investment and product advice and I just help them as a specialist to address the aged care component for their clients. Fantastic. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, I'm Jason Burley from Burley Aged Care Advice. Uh, I'm also strategic aged care only, and uh, I don't provide any ongoing advice, so it's all uh, fee-for-service, effectively. Okay. And uh, I, because there is no ongoing clients and no ongoing income, I'm always on the lookout for new business, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I do that by a range of marketing opportunities around the region. Okay. And hi, Asat. How are, hi, did I pronounce your name correctly? Asiat. Asiat. Yeah. There we are. So I'm from Aged Care Steps. Uh, we support Kerry and Jason and other advisors to deliver aged care services for their clients. So we provide accreditation training on aged care, which is a foundation for the FPA's uh, specialist aged care specialist designation. We provide software tools. And, and other support, technical and, and practice development support to help them build and implement their aged care services. Fantastic. So give, we're, we're doing a little 10-minute chat. So it would be fantastic uh, for the people listening to share, I guess, the things that might help them in those aged care discussions. Like what was your panel on? And then we'll dive into the what can they take away and, and improve what they do. So what we were talking about in the panel was we were covering off a range of the different issues that advisors often think about when it comes to aged care. Everything from addressing some of the misconceptions they may have about what business models they can choose um, and identifying that they don't necessarily have to be an aged care specialist, but we do think they need to have the aged care conversation with clients. We touched on how you would price for strategic advice like aged care. Um, We also touched on issues such as how do you start the aged care conversation with clients through a range of different means um, and went through case studies to illustrate the value of advice. And the good thing was that Kerry and Jason could then uh, provide the practical insights around those issues. So can anyone provide any tips? You know, you talk about opening that conversation. When you're working with someone who's not a specialist in this area, what are the tangible things that you help them do? So there's three things that I think um, to start the conversation is most important. And one of the things I suggest to advisors is turning the family tree conversation upside down. So they talk to their clients about themselves and their wife and their children and what their goals and objectives are. They very rarely talk about their parents. So turn that tree upside down and occasionally ask them about what their parents 
um, health is like? Do they think they're going to help, have to help their parents in their later years and how that's going to impact their cash flow because if they have to take time out to do that or whether their parents have um, the means to pay for their own care. The second thing is that when they're doing the investment plan to have the conversation about do you think that you're going to have to stop work or your wife's going to have to stop work? So that's going to impact how much you've got to invest over a period of time. And then it can also highlight whether there's going to be potential inheritances and investment opportunities in the future. And the third thing is that we all talk about um, estate planning and the importance of having EPOAs, um, enduring powers of attorney in place. So asking the client do you have an EPOA in place, but then taking the next step and going, are you EPOA for anyone else? So the other thing is that I don't use the word necessarily aged care. I talk about the later years in retirement. People don't want to talk about aged care, but if you start talking about what does that look like in the last 25% of your retirement, it's a much um, easier conversation to have with clients. And I can imagine it's a huge release particularly if someone is looking after a parent who is, is deteriorating from its health perspective. I mean, that responsibility and that workload can fall on someone who is not in those years of, you know, their later life, but they're having to deal with all of those realities. And, and I guess that's the scenario we, we certainly see a lot about in XY and those conversations. We have an ethical committee and it's really interesting that a lot of the ethical conversations are those scenarios where someone does need to go into some level of care and what do you do and how do you navigate that and, and what are the outcomes? So I guess it's, it's never really a straightforward conversation, which is why you specialise in that. Yeah, it's not a straightforward conversation and if you ask anyone, they want to stay in their home. The reality is that they can't always stay in their home. So have the conversations about what that looks like and how you're going to plan for that going forward. Um, most of the people that go into aged care don't want to go into aged care, mm. and yet aged care homes are full. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's a necessity, yeah. and there's kind of you can ignore it, but time the clock's ticking. So mm. um, further to what Kerry was saying about how to get uh, how to get aged care in the conversations, what Kerry was talking about is really with the client base, and uh, another way of where I've been looking at it is to try and get myself known well in the region. I'm in the regional area and so I want people to know that when uh, aged care is a need comes up that I'm known. I'm either known to the person themselves or to somebody else that they're talking to. And I do that by, you know, effectively a monthly editorial that Aged Care Steps provide. I put that into a local uh, free magazine, go out to see the solicitors and accountants, other financial planners, uh, meeting at aged care homes, uh, some of those will refer, some of them won't, mm. and uh, yeah, a number of different regions. Matter of thinking outside the square, and so that way you can actually get more aged care clients as well than mm. out of your existing client pool. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is making people the value for, I guess, the community. Then is that they're understanding when they when this big event happens that's very life-altering yes you know where do I go for help so I guess to have that in the even if you don't specialize in the conversation or don't want to and you want to outsource that like having that um, support team to be able to just offer as a solution because yeah I guess the clients might not know so the thing that I'm interested in and I don't know if this is this is perhaps not what you covered in your session but elder abuse is a really interesting conversation that's mm-hmm. starting to emerge more and more and, I, and it's been something that I've been asking 
planners who specialise in, you know, perhaps later year planning. Have they come across it? What do they do? And if they suspect it, it's a very awkward sort of conversation to host. Is this a topic that has come into your realms or something that you've had to deal with? And do you have any tips for those advisors out there that might suspect something isn't quite right and then what do I do next? What do I say? So um, I have lots of conversations with enduring powers of attorney about making sure that they're acting in their parents' best interest because sometimes I'll be sitting across the table from someone and they're saying, mum wants me to have this car. It's like she doesn't have capacity. You have a power of attorney. That doesn't mean you can spend her money on a car. So having those Mm, conversations and referring them back to, you need to get a legal opinion on what you're trying to do. I think ASIAT probably could address this from an aged care steps perspective. So interestingly, we we often talk about when aged care decisions are being made, um, we talk about the fact that a lot of the emotions drive the decisions and we refer them as the three G's of aged care, which is that that the person might be going through a lot of grief, um, a lot of guilt, but also greed is the other one. And this is where elder abuse comes into it. Um, And sometimes the abuse may not be, financial abuse may be um, something that they're not even aware that they're actually doing or they don't recognise it as that. For example, they might say, oh, look, I think that mum should gift me uh, or my children $10,000 because that's going to help her Centrelink uh, um, age pension entitlements. But when you look at it, it's not really giving away $10,000 in order to earn $500. Is that really in the best interest of the client? And so it's certainly an area that advisors need to be always on the lookout for and addressing. Um, sometimes the, the concern becomes that if you're talking to the child and you address the fact that there is elder abuse, the risk you take there is that the child of the p- uh, person may say, you know what, I'm going to go to another advisor. Yeah. Um, and so therefore it limits what you can do, but it is still something that, that could be reported. Yeah. And that whole $10,000, it's like, is it really worth losing the access to that money? Um, for a very small benefit, mm. it's all case by case, and, mm. and really, like I'm, I'm so mindful of my clients, which are the people going into care. So that's something to keep in mind that you might like. I don't meet the majority of my actual clients. I, I have, I meet their partners or I meet their children. Yeah, and great point. Typically, um, I'm yet to have any elder abuse in, or have not picked up any of it whatsoever. But also. And I think the reason for that is that when I'm having my initial chat with the clients, um, it's pretty clear that where my focus on, and as most people aren't going to pay my fee to, in the hope that I'm going to help them rip off their parents yeah. or whatever. So really, uh, if you're into aged care and as specialists, I, I don't come across it, yeah. and uh, but I'm always mindful of it yeah. because it's a very easy trap for people to fall into. And sometimes like that 10 grand, it might be fine. They might have 300 grand, okay? Mm. If you want to give as long as it's coming from the parents and not being driven yeah. by the children. I guess advisors would perhaps if they're having a broader conversation and they're hearing what a client mm-hmm. who is aging is is you know they might suspect within the broader family network things are happening. Absolutely. And that's that. So I guess bringing in someone to your point earlier around you, well, you might not want to broach that subject in fear of losing the client. Bringing in an independent person to make perhaps explore that scenario and have those deeper conversations might be a really helpful way to go but also would you want to have a client 
<laughs> that's ripping off their parents. No, I'm talking about like but so I mean, they may be they may be dealing with the parent and, and yeah. understanding that there's something going on in the broader unit but that in, is infecting you. In terms of bringing that up with the chance that these people might go to another advisor, well, so be it. Mm. <laughs> you know, good luck. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm suggesting that you wouldn't bring it up because you risk losing the client. Exactly. I'm just saying that what what often happens is when you do bring it up as an advisor. Mm. The client reaction may be, "Oops, I better get out of here," and so that's mm. that's what they end they're up trying to doing. That yeah, as opposed client. to that. Yeah, I, I do have conversations about divesting. I don't agree with divesting to get greater benefit from the government because it gives you less options and less mm. choices. So, it's educating people that yeah, it sounds great that mum can give you the money, but it's then limiting mum's access to the care that she needs, and it's her money. So. Like Jason, most of my clients, you would not go through what you have to go through to get someone into care and sit in front of me and talk about aged care if you didn't um, really care about the person you're with. So we're probably lucky that our clients aren't elder abuse clients. Yeah. No, I just I just wondered whether you'd seen that because it's a question yeah. that we get from the yeah. from the the advisor who's dealing with perhaps the person who's receiving those perhaps poor advice choices. So yeah, it's a, it's a different relationship. You would think that we would have a lot of it, mm. given that's all we do is aged care. Yeah. But for mm. those reasons, we actually mm. don't no, see much of it. And, and look, one of the, sorry, I've spoken, I've listened to um, the Guardian, Queensland Guardian, speak, okay. and some of the stories about elder abuse are horrific and you would need to report it if it came across your desk. But I've been fortunate enough that the people that I deal with care for their parents and they're looking for the best care they can get. And sometimes one of the best things you can do to um, address that is to pre-plan ahead for aged care. So don't wait for an incident when when the person going into care doesn't have capacity if you can try and, as an advisor, sit down with your clients and their families and pre-plan and put, put some ideas and strategies in place, then that really reduces the overall risk of, of um, elder abuse as well. Mm. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for joining me. It's the first time we've had three people in the podcast seats as guests. So thank you so much. Asiat, oh, did I get that right this yes. time? Fantastic. Jason and Kerry, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Danny.